the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Situation Report today. This is the show where we give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stoniker and I am your host today. Very grateful, very grateful to have you joining us. And uh, man, we talk about giving you the information and perspectives you need to navigate today. We have a guest on who has spent his entire career giving information and perspectives needed to navigate an ever-changing culture. A doctor of philosophy who has written on so many things over the years and most recently written on the topic of critical race theory, something we've addressed here before, but something that he does an incredible job breaking down for us, not only what it is, but what we can do about it moving forward. Very grateful to have on today as my guest, Dr. Douglas Grotheis. Great to have on with us today, Dr. Douglas Grotheis. Dr. Grotheis is a philosophy professor at Denver Seminary and an affiliate faculty at Colorado Christian University. We've got some friends at CCU, so that's awesome. Authored 30 academic papers published in journals such as Religious Studies, Academic Questions, Inquiry, Sophia, Philosophia, <laughs> I can't read, but Philosophia, Christie, Think, and the Journal of Evangelical Theological Society published articles in magazines such as Christianity Today, The Chronicle of Higher Education, The Philosopher's Magazine, Philosophy Now, The Christian Research Journal, and many, many others. And most recently published through Salem Publishing, Fire in the Streets, How You Can Confidently Respond to Incendiary Cultural Topics. Thank you so much for being on with us. Super excited about this conversation today. Well, Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I would love to start with uh, your background. Um, when you became a Christian, maybe where you grew up and how you grew up, I'm, I'm very interested in worldview and how that's formed. So uh, let's spend some time there if you don't mind. Sure. Yes. Well, I was uh, born in Anchorage, Alaska, 1957, two years before it became a state. Wow. And uh, was raised by parents who I would say were God fearing people, but they we're not church attenders, so I didn't really learn too much about Christianity growing up. I went off to college and started to study Eastern religions and Western philosophies. Mm -hmm. And then I also met some Christians when I was at college and started reading some Christian literature, particularly Soren Kierkegaard, one of his books. And through that and a number of events, I gave my life to Christ about uh, sometime in June of 1976. So what is that now? 46 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, pursued a career in philosophy. It's not usually advisable, but <laughs> somehow <laughs> uh, there aren't too many working professional philosophers out there. A lot of unemployed ones. But I have been a professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary since 93. And my real passion is to take the truth of Christianity to the watching world, 
build up the church to defend the faith, understand what the Bible teaches, how it relates to other worldviews. So along the way, uh, that's resulted in <clears throat> 15 books and some of the other publications that you've mentioned. Um, can you give us a, a working definition of philosophy, particularly as a Christian philosopher, when you're talking about philosophy? What What is, to me or to many others, that may seem like it's kind of theory, it's it's very out there, it's not super helpful. Um, what What's the approach we should take when we look at philosophy? Mm-hmm. Well, I take it to be thinking well about the things that matter most. So you use reason to do that. You want to have a consistent, rational worldview. The questions of philosophy are things like, uh, what is the nature of reality? That's called metaphysics. How do we know anything? That's called epistemology. And then axiology, which is the theory of value, which includes things like ethics, politics, aesthetics, and so on. So my approach to philosophy has always been, uh, let's try to use our God-given intellect to understand the world aright for the glory of God. And in my work over the years, I've done quite a bit in apologetics, which is Mm. simply the defense of Christianity is objectively true, compellingly rational, and pertinent to the whole of life. If you look at the word philosophy and take it apart, it means the love of wisdom. Mm. So as Christians, we know that God himself is the source of all wisdom and all goodness and truth and beauty. So if we're thinking well about what matters, we're doing philosophy. Now, some people are professional philosophers. Most people, of course, are not. But as Christians, we're called to be transformed through the renewing of our minds, Romans 12, 2, and in our thinking, be mature, and so on, and reason well. So philosophy at its best can teach us how to think clearly, how to assess truth claims, how to test worldviews, and also how to understand the scripture, because scripture is inspired by one author, ultimately, and that author does not lie. So we need to use our reasoning abilities in interpreting scripture and doing theology and so on. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. There's an entire new economy being created right now filled with patriotic companies that have had enough of cancel culture and the left. One, you can support every day and all you have to do is get dressed. I'm talking about Undertack Boxers. These have to be the greatest boxers ever made, probably because they have literally been tested by special forces operators. They're made with high quality material that's antimicrobial, anti-pilling and moisture wicking so you stay fresh and dry all day long. 
They come with a sturdy yet comfortable waistband that doesn't crack or loosen. Undertack is durable, ultralight, and shrink resistant. Here's the best part. They're almost 30% less than the woke designer brands with the non-binary models. Go to getundertack.com. That's getundertack.com. Right now, when you buy three, get one free, but only with the offer code SITREP20. SITREP20. Support a great American company that's pro-America, pro-Second Amendment, and pro-military. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. GetUndertack.com. That's GetUndertack.com. Offer code SITREP20. If you were to help someone, someone comes to you as perhaps a new Christian or new to faith, and they they asked a question like this if they knew how to ask the question, I want to develop a biblical worldview. I want to begin seeing the world right from a biblical perspective. Um, I've got kids. I'm, I'm consistently talking to them about developing a worldview. And, and we'll get to your book in just a minute, but a lot of what you're talking about, I think, is dealing with that. Um, how would you direct someone who's trying to begin developing a worldview that is, is specifically biblical? Well, I think reading the right kinds of books, a book that I read long ago, probably 1977, it's still in print, is by a writer named James Sire called mm-hmm. The Universe Next Door. The subtitle is A Basic Worldview Catalog that looks at what a worldview is, the Christian worldview, deism, naturalism, uh, nihilism, existentialism, Eastern thought, Islam, and New Age thought. So that is now out, I think, in its sixth edition. And uh, Jim went to be with the Lord about four years ago. But that is a tremendous book. And I also came up through the ranks as a thinker and as a philosopher and apologist through the work of Francis Schaeffer, particularly the God who is there, Mm. and the works of C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, Miracles, Abolition of Man. So read the right books. And a contemporary person uh, who's very good at making this clear and interesting in terms of worldviews and ethics is Nancy Piercy. Her book, Total Truth, is, is, I think, a modern classic. I'd highly recommend that, too. Your early writings, a lot of the books that you published early on, uh, dealt with um, kind of the New Age idea or New Age philosophy, particularly as it pertains to Christianity. And you were doing this a long time before it was cool <laughs> um, to probably. So you, you mentioned you accepted Christ in June of 1976. I was born in November of 1976. So um, we share the year in common, but uh, different birth activities. Um, but that was, you were writing about this a long time before people now really it's almost in vogue to talk about mysticism or spirituality very broadly or faith very broadly. Even Christians who, or or people who claim to be Christians, call themselves Christians, who have no problem separating their faith from Christ or their faith from claims of deity and those kind of things. Um, what, what led you into taking the approach where you're dealing with mysticism and the New Age movement as it relates to Christianity And what's changed over the years since you started writing about that? Well, before I became a Christian, I was interested in Eastern religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism. And I also got a little bit interested in some paranormal or occult phenomena like out of the body travels, things like that. Didn't get too deep into it, thank God. But after I became a Christian, I took up a challenge, really, that a friend of mine gave. I was hiking up. 
a mountain outside of Anchorage called Flat Top. It's a very easy mountain to hike. I don't want to sound like I'm a great mountain climber. <laughs> no, no paraphernalia, no rigmarole was needed to climb this mountain. But anyway, my friend John said, Doug, you're thinking of becoming a Christian, but if you become a Christian, you will only associate with Christians. You'll go to church, you'll read Christian books, and you won't be a critical thinker anymore. Mm. I like Doug, the critical thinker. And if you become a Christian, you won't be that. Well, I've spent the last 46 years proving my friend John right, wrong. So right, right. <laughs> what, I, what I did after a summer of kind of not knowing how to think, not knowing how to live too well as a Christian, except I knew I needed to not do certain things, I discovered this wonderful world of apologetics and philosophy with Francis Schaeffer, C.S. Lewis, yep. Jim Steyer, Os Guinness. So I went back and looked at those religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, and I studied uh, to some extent the occult and various cults and decided, especially with the new age perspective that um, a book needed to be written on it. This was in the early eighties. I was thinking about this. I kept studying it, teaching it. I lived in a very liberal new agey kind of town called Eugene, mm -hmm. Oregon, yeah. which has the university of Oregon where I graduated from. So I would attend events given by gurus and shamans and, new age lecturers and I'd write up tracks and take them to the event and hand out the tracks to people. And I came up with the idea of a book, but I was having trouble really pulling the trigger and starting to write the book. Although I did have a, I think I had a contract for it at the time, but anyway, my first wife, Rebecca, who's with the Lord now said, Doug, I think you know more about this subject than anybody else in America. Mm -hmm. <laughs> probably a slight exaggeration <laughs> but she said you need to start writing the book and if you write it i will edit it for you wow. and that began uh, a partnership that lasted 34 years wow and wow. she edited all my books uh i just happen to have the first edition of my christian apologetics book here this one came out wow. in 2011 right this was wow. the last book that rebecca edited she was not able to edit after that she contracted dementia so that was the first book, and it was, I guess, uh, the right book at the right time. It's been my best-selling book of all my 15 books. It's still in print. It sold, I think, 150,000 copies wow. or something. Yeah, wow. It really surprised me, surprised everybody. So then I followed that up with a book called Confronting the New Age, then another one called Revealing the New Age Jesus, and uh, went on to write books on other topics over the years. But the basic worldview is pantheistic and monistic so everything is divine and everything is ultimately one so there's no distinction between the creator and the creation or between human beings and nature everything is one a big circle so if you think of a big circle and you have little things within the circle like individuals rocks trees and you think of the circle distinct from god uh, the new age says no there's one circle and everything is ultimately one mm -hmm entity and that entity is divine so one of the big proponents of that back in the day back in the 80s was an actress named shirley mclean yeah and she converted to new age mysticism in the early 80s and she wrote several books about it and there are other people on the scene um, that i was responding to but the same worldview is still out there some of the people have changed some of the people have died or not as popular as they used to be but we still have um, Oprah Winfrey presenting these kind of ideas. And we have a number of self-help people. 
that talk about getting in touch with the inner yeah. power, yeah. the inner source of life, instead of submitting to God in humility yeah. and coming to God through Christ who died for our sins, the idea is to find the divine within. Why do you think this has become a conversation in, in kind of more mainstream Christian circles? This is always kind of a peripheral thing, but it seems like even in you know conservative evangelical churches, this is a, an ideology that people espouse or hold to. Maybe they couldn't identify it that way, but they live that way. Right. Well, sadly, this idea that we have unlimited potential, that we have power to speak things into existence by our words, these ideas are really not Christian ideas at all, uh, but they come into some elements of the prosperity gospel, the name and claim mm -hmm. it movement, yep. uh, or even uh, people that are trying to integrate yoga with Christian spirituality. And I think the problem is people are not solid on biblical teaching yeah, or the idea of Christianity as a philosophy of life, a worldview that tells us who God is, who we are what salvation is, what morality is, what spiritual practices and beliefs are true and good, and what spiritual practices and belief are false and bad. You right. know, you have to have a dichotomy right. there. Uh, test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God, because many false prophets, false teachers, have gone into the world. And the way you test them, I'm quoting 1 John 4, 1 through 6 there, is what they say about Jesus. Has Jesus come in the flesh? You see the Jesus of the Bible? And do you follow the teachings of Jesus or have you gone astray? So the basic antidote to this false spirituality getting into the church is true biblical teaching, true spirituality. If you don't have that, these ideas just start seeping in because they're everywhere out there in the culture. Hollywood, education, yeah. uh, everywhere. Self-help seminars. Yeah, it's uh, man, it's it's startling and there's so much going on we'll talk about your new book there's so much going on that many in the church who should understand there is truth that is you know universal truth given to us by god they're not reflecting that truth at all and they're buying into a lot of what's happening um which i think takes us can i add a footnote to that please i mean we're jamming on on lots of things and this is great fun <laughs> who cares about my new book but anyway we'll get to the new book but uh one thing that's extremely significant is the very concept of truth. And I deal, I do deal with this in my new book. I deal yeah. with it really in all my books. What does it mean to say something is true? It doesn't mean you believe it deeply or that most people believe it, or it seems progressive or tolerance or something else. My dog got excited about that last point, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, truth is what corresponds to reality. Mm. So in first Corinthians 15, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is in vain and we're deceiving people. Yep. So it doesn't matter how much you believe in Jesus or how many goosebumps you get when you think of Jesus rising yep. from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead in real space-time history, our faith is in vain. So when people talk about, well, my truth is this, mm. and I've experienced this, and so that's my truth. You can't touch it. Well, we don't get to create reality. Right. How do you respond to people that say, well, claiming truth is unkind or it alienates um, or disassociates? How do you respond to that? Well, if you claim truth arrogantly, it can do that. Sure. But even that statement itself, that claiming truth is arrogant, is a truth claim. Mm -hmm. So you really, right. you really can't get away from it. It's just part of how we are made to think when we 
make affirmative, assertive statements. We're claiming something about reality. And we're either right or wrong. Yeah. And that's the lay of the land. That's how you start out doing apologetics. You start out ethics. You start out relationships with people. You want to know the facts of the matter. You want to know that when you go to see a physician. Am I sick or am I well? But somehow when it comes to values and religion, right. you can have your truth and I can have my truth. But really what we want to know is what is the truth? That's right. The facts of the matter. Yeah, that's good. Um, and, and a lot of that, I think, is what you deal with in the new book, Fire in the Streets. Um, so many philosophies that are permeating our society and, uh, again, startling to me, Christianity and churches and pastors that should be able to stand for that truth. Um, let's talk about the new book. Um, first of all, I love the title. Where did the title come from? And then what specifically did you seek to address as you were, you were laying this out? Well, the title really came to me rather suddenly after reflecting about the literal fire in the streets of 2020, mm. the riots around the country that went on for months over the George Floyd death. Yep. And I was thinking, I was doing an interview and I, I just heard myself say there's fire in the streets because there is fire in the minds of men and women. Wow. And there's a false ideology, wow. which is called critical race theory that is in, is inspiring what's going on. So as a philosopher, I wanted to get to the heart of it in terms of what philosophy is motivating this and what do we think of it? And what I came down to is something I've studied for decades. And that is, it's another version of Marxism. It's sometimes called critic, uh, called cultural Marxism or neo-Marxism, but it's still the idea that society is made up of conflicting forces so you have the force of the oppressor, and then you have the less strong force of the oppressed. And with Marxism, the idea is that you have the people that own the capital and uh, control the means of production yep. are oppressing the workers, the bourgeois mm. against the workers. But critical race theory is a kind of mutation of this that keeps the conflict perspective, but the oppressors are white male heteronormative, meaning uh, Caucasian, and they think that heterosexual monogamy is the right way. So they try to marginalize and oppress everybody who's not white, male, and heteronormative. So the main category for understanding society, according to critical race theory, is race and gender. It's not human beings are made, each one of us in the image and likeness of God. It's not the Declaration of Independence. God has given us certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's not how they view things. They view things according to racial and gender identification. Yeah. And once you know that, supposedly you can analyze society correctly and offer a program to make society equitable and inclusive. All this sounds terrific. Equitable, inclusive, yeah. you know, help the people who are oppressed. Yes, but we've got to get the categories of analysis correct. And so what I do in the book is I show that Marxism is fundamentally false and has been proven to be barbaric in history in the USSR, Red China, Cambodia, and so on. It's repressive. It turns against its own citizens when its own citizens don't go with the Marxist program, puts them in labor camps, re-education camps. Mm kills them, maybe a hundred million people 
were killed by their own governments in the 20th yeah. century, a hundred yeah. million. Yeah. So why would we want to take anything related to that philosophy and try to update it and apply it to American society? Yeah. So I think you've already got three strikes against you right there, but <clears throat> some of the leaders of black lives matter have said we're trained Marxists. Yep. Patricia Cullors said that, and she was discipled by, or at least influenced by Angela Davis, the black radical from the 60s and 70s, who's still around. And Angela Davis was mentored by the neo-Marxist philosopher Herbert Marcuse, who's one of the big names in critical race theory. So critical race theory raises questions about how people of color have been treated in the United States. It raises those questions. But as far as I can tell, it provides no helpful or beneficial answers to any of the problems that we have because it doesn't view human beings as all made in the image and likeness of God and all fallen and all needing redemption. And it also defects from the fundamental American vision. So a lot of what I do in this book, particularly in the second section, is say, what really is America? Is it worth conserving? You know, scripture says, strengthen the things that remain. Well, should we strengthen the things that remain of the Declaration, the Constitution? Yep. And a lot of the thinking behind the 2020 riots and the thinking behind critical race theory is no. Uh, racism is intrinsic to the American system. And so it has to be burned down. It was founded. You probably have heard of the 1619 Project, yep. something that came out of the New York Times. Yep. He said the real founding of America was in 1619 when slaves were brought to the United States. And so it's not 1776. It's not the ideals of the declaration. That was just a fraud. That was a farce. Really, America is based on slavery. It only grew economically through slaves. The founders were all hypocrites because they were white slave owners. And you see what they're trying to do is discredit the very idea of America so they can replace it with this neo-Marxist setup where the state controls everything and assures that certain outcomes take place. And I know I'm moving quickly through things, but no, one of good. the reasons I'm really concerned about critical race theory is that it's intrinsically Marxist and socialist. So if you find any disparity among groups with percentages, that's because of racism. So if you have 13% African-Americans, you don't have 13% professors, the 13% yeah. lawyers. Well, that's just racism. That's what yeah. Abraham X. Kendi says yeah. in his very overrated book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. <laughs> well, how are you going to bring that about? First of all, it's never existed in any society because there's so many variables for why different ethnic groups achieve different things in different areas of life. I've been reading Thomas Sowell on this for 40 years. Yeah, It's really obvious, right? But Kendi says, if people are equal and they're not equally represented in every area of life, then the answer is racism. Say, wait a minute here. Mm. I mean, this is an F in social science because you have things like differences in age, average age. So if you have a population uh, that's younger than another population, so let's say I'm going to have to be rough here because I don't have the book in front of me. Yep. But let's say the average age of an African-American is 30 and the average age of a white American is 45. Well, typically when you're 45, 
you're making more money than you did when sure. you were 30. Sure. And this is true also of Japanese Americans. I believe the average age for a Japanese American is 50. Mm. And they're higher in income than uh, a lot of other groups that right. are typically younger. So what right. I'm saying is you have all kinds of factors that lead to disparities. Racism is one of them. It may not be the main one at all. And another thing that uh, Dr. Soul points out is that there are racial groups that have been discriminated against in various cultures, like the overseas Chinese and the Japanese in the U.S. and I think also in Canada. But they still achieve really well financially, culturally, in education. And this comes down ultimately to questions of character and culture. What is the character and culture of an ethnic group? Is it discipline, restraint, deferred mm. gratification, education, keeping the family together? You know, there are structural problems. Sure. But the problem with critical race theory is that it sees everything in terms of structures that are animated by groups. And then if there's any disparity, the structures have to be changed from the top down through civil government. Yeah. And this often does yeah. more harm than good. It, it's crazy how pervasive this is. Um, it, so anecdotally, my hobby is um, I participate in trail running. So I go to trail races and do this. This is kind of what I enjoy doing. Um, and so I follow social media accounts about trail running and all these things, right? Which you'd think would be about running. Um, the number of recent posts that I've seen on social media that talk about representation in trail running that present um, percentages, just like you gave. X number of trail runners every year are this race. X number are this. Clearly, there's a representation problem. We need to take action and this is something that uh, there, there is no barrier to entry, zero. <laughs> you put your shoes on and you go run. Um, but it's become so pervasive in our, our collective cultural thought that to say what you just said is almost seem, seen as racist, as not acknowledging the problem. Yeah. Well, it's basic social science. Uh, people stratify and congregate according to a variety of factors. I mean, here's one that Thomas Sowell pointed out. People that tend to live in mountainous regions mm. often are more poor and less educated. Nothing to do with race. It has to do with right. being in the mountains. You're isolated right. from other people. The way of life is harder. So think of Appalachia in the United States. Uh, you think also birth order, too, like where you come in the family. Firstborns tend to achieve more uh, than those that come later, or whether you're raised in a family that has lots of books around. And so... There's no way I'm saying racism is non-existent in the United States or that our social structure, laws, taxation is just terrific the way it is. Now sure, just go out and fend sure. for yourself. However, what I'm critiquing is this leftist socialist vision of what society is supposed to look like and the false appeal to racism as the explanation of any disparity, because the disparity may not be an inequity. There's also self-selection. I mean, if I can shift to uh, sex here, yeah. what about self-selection in something like nursing? Well, I'll, I think generally speaking, more women want to go into nursing than men. Is anything prejudicial or discriminatory going on there? Probably not. Or let's say engineering. Yeah. You know, what if the facts of the matter, just with who people are, 
is that men generally tend to be better at engineering than women. General tendency. Would that be evil if that were true? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, years ago, Larry Summers got in trouble. He was the president of a major university. He said something like what I just said. And he was just excoriated. Oh, you <laughs> sexist. You don't think women can do engineering. You think they're dumb. He said, basically, give women what I would say, give men and women equal opportunities to yep. do well in engineering or nursing or anything else. Yep. And let's just see how it works out. But the mentality now is that any disparity Correct. means discrimination, means false assessments of people based on their gender or their skin color. Sometimes, sure, not always. And it's not the default explanation, especially, as you said, if you're in an area where there's really no, no barrier to entry. Yeah. Um, do you think that the proponents of critical race theory and particularly those who are proponents of putting it in our schools and teaching our children and those kind of things. Is there any good faith in that? I mean, do they, do they believe what they're saying or is the ultimate goal, it's just veiled. The ultimate goal really is to burn down the system and to, to start over again. Well, I think it depends on who you're talking to. So if you're looking at the real philosophical roots of critical race theory, it is a anti-Christian viewpoint. It is not, consonant with American principles of the American creed at all. But I think a lot of people think this is a good way to bring about racial justice, to raise awareness of racial problems, and to take action in this way. So I think some people are doing this in good faith. They may not know the roots. They may not yeah. know all that went into it. Uh, but for one, one thing I'm very concerned about, and I have a chapter on this in the book, is that is that the people are really dedicated to critical race theory think that freedom of speech is not something to be valued because there are the white oppressors and you add maleness, you add heterosexual, yeah, sure, sure. they're the oppressors. And so we don't need to hear what they say. In fact, we don't want to hear what they say. In fact, we shouldn't have to hear what they say. <laughs> so you've got this idea that goes back to Herbert Marcuse like 40, 45 years ago. He calls it repressive tolerance. He says, if an ideology is so tainted and so unjust, then we don't have to tolerate it. We, in fact, can be intolerant towards it and silence it. So this goes back a long time. Yeah. This is against the idea of the open marketplace of ideas. Right. This is why so many people and organizations now get canceled. It's not, we want to hear your, your viewpoint and we have our view viewpoint and let's try to figure it out it's more oh you said this then you don't get the microphone anymore yeah. we don't want to listen to you and we want to ban you from our platform and all the rest of it how do we engage with this i um i i, I know and I, I i mean we can prove that anywhere christianity has been in the world freedom has expanded whether that's you know related to gender roles um certainly Racism has been dealt with. Slavery was ended largely by Christian people understanding who we are created in the image of God um, here in the United States. As Christians, we should hold the high ground on this. I mean, <laughs> the gospel is, is equal to all. There is one blood among the earth. I mean, the Bible is very consistent in this. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, as we understand redemption through Christ. 
we don't have the high ground. I don't know why. Well, we have it. We're just not communicating it well. Um, how do we engage with this in culture? How do we talk to people who see this issue differently than we? And how can we begin to, if we can, uh, engage culture in a way that, that makes a real difference, not just one-on-one, but, but in our schools and in our universities? And how do we, how do we deal with this? I, I don't even know where to start with a lot of folks. Well, it's a big question, and I have a, a chapter in the book. The last chapter of the book is, what do we do? How do we address these things? Yeah, and, good. Uh, we need prayer, certainly prayer for discernment, wisdom. We need to um, have love in our hearts, uh, tough love. Sometimes you have to expose things as evil and provide some kind of alternative to it. So we need love in our hearts. I think we need fire in our bones. I, mm. I wrote this book. Uh, more quickly than any of my books. And it's not because I did it on the cheap. I felt a very strong motivation that America is at a kind of crossroads. Yeah. And so we need to figure out who we are as citizens, as Christians, how do we seek the welfare of the city where God has placed us in terms of that language in Jeremiah 29. And we need to be knowledgeable too. We need to think well about education, civil government, the role of the church in society. And I think we need to, as you said, keep the high ground and not fall into the name calling and the cancellation and uh, the kind of mean-spirited culture warring that we see so often. But there is a conflict of ideas. And Mm -hmm. there's also at the deepest level a spiritual conflict, a spiritual battle between good and evil. So we need direction from the Lord, lean on the Lord for everything we need to seek the best for where we are according to a biblical viewpoint yeah there's one human race yeah Yeah. there are two genders yeah uh we're all fallen we all need to be redeemed right and i think the american system uh, recognizes a lot of biblical truths i think that our founding documents while imperfect were deeply informed by biblical revelation and the more we hold true to that, the better off we'll be. It's not that everything was done perfectly and it's static. I mean, you have the whole situation of adding amendments to the Constitution right. because the framers realized that they would need to clarify issues sure. or others sure. need to clarify issues as time went on. But you have some wonderful, true and powerful principles in the Declaration and in the Constitution. And I look back to someone like Martin Luther King who in his famous address in 1963 in Washington, D.C., talked about the magnificent documents of the Declaration mm. and the Constitution. Mm. Now, critical race theory, don't believe people. Right. Don't believe right. They think they're intrinsically racist. Right. You have to basically burn it down and start over again. Yeah. And I, that is not the right way to do it. Yeah. Man, incredible. There's so much here. And as you mentioned, this is we're at a crossroads. Um, a very important book, very timely book. Where can people find the book and follow the other work that you've done? You've written several books, obviously, and just follow you. Well, the book is out as of uh, August 2nd, and you can get it on Amazon. You can also get it from the publisher, which is Salem Books. Yeah. And if you want to know what's going on with me, I'm on Facebook. And also, I have a webpage called douglasgrotheis.com. You can, I'm also on Twitter, right? It's just at Doug Groteis for Twitter. 
So I'm pretty active with all those sites and you can get links to podcasts, radio interviews, uh, articles I've written, things like that pretty easily. Fantastic. Dr. Grotheis, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Looking forward to reading your book and hopefully we can do this again after I've read the book. Good. I'd love to do it. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Thankful for that conversation. That is a conversation I could have had. I don't know if you could have listened to it, but I could have had it for a long time. So much great information there. We talked offline after the episode about doing a second episode, just dealing specifically with apologetics, and I'm excited to get to that as well. Please go pick up the new book. Um, Follow Dr. Grotheis on social media. Go to his website. This is so important. We have to think right. He said that a few times. I am constantly telling my kids, we need to learn how to think, talking to other people. We need to learn how to think. We've become so polarized that we don't know how to think. We accept what people are telling us. We need to understand how to think about these things. Uh, Very grateful for that. Uh, Wherever it is you are listening from, make sure that you are subscribed. You have your favorite podcast platform. That's awesome. Go ahead and subscribe there so that you know when new episodes Come online. We want to make sure that you have those as soon as they come out three times a week. And uh, always grateful to share that with you. Thank you for uh, watching and or listening. We will talk to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.